Well, welcome to the Cup for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay. I'm joined by Eric Stearns. And today we're digging into my message from Sunday, which was about the Emmaus story, about how Jesus is made known in the lives of these two disciples and how Jesus is made known in our own lives. So let's get into it. Sounds good. There is a parallel to this story in Mark, in Mark chapter 16. Um, where it doesn't, Mark doesn't go into the details that Luke does. Luke doesn't, or Mark doesn't have this specific story, um, but Mark does have a story where Jesus appears to, do, to two disciples. The disciples go back to the group and say, hey, you'll never believe what happened, which is what happens in Luke, um, mm-hmm. verifying that this is more than just a Lucan tradition. This is a gospel tradition. Um, and then there's also a detail in Luke's gospel where the one disciple is named Cleopas, and I am of the opinion that details matter um, and that there's nothing in the Bible by accident. You cannot get over that they don't recognize him. Right. Like, even after your sermon, which was great and everything, and yep, we don't recognize Jesus in our own lives, mm-hmm. but how do they not recognize him? Yeah. Like, that has to yeah. be a God thing at that point. Like, mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. Yeah, they were prevented from recognizing Jesus. Like, Jesus was building to this, you know, this great reveal at the table as a way of deepening and strengthening their own faith. You know, Jesus wants to hear their hurt. Jesus wants to be with them in the midst of of, of the questioning that, that he heard along the way in order to build their faith, in order to build that up to the point where when he reveals himself— the right outcome happens. You know, mm-hmm. they go to the disciples, they verify for the disciples again on that resurrection day that this has happened, that this is true. Mm-hmm. In the morning, the women go from the tomb to the disciples, and the disciples dismiss the women as if they are telling an idle tale. They do not believe. Mm-hmm. And so Peter and John go to the tomb, they see for themselves, maybe, you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then that evening, they have the story from the disciples of Emmaus. They have another witness to the resurrection to come and tell them that this actually took place, that this, that this actually happened. So you say maybe. Why do you say maybe? Because uh, this, this feels weird to say, but just because the women said it doesn't mean that the disciples believe it. I don't know that that's weird to say. At the time, mm-hmm. I mean, women would have been considered second uh second tier people yes um yep so is that that weird to say i mean I, it really isn't but it, in, in our modern times yes yes being today where we, that's weird being where we are mm-hmm. that's weird yes 100 um, percent. but yes in that day at that time they would have and they did they dismissed the women as telling an idle tale even though they went and saw for themselves that the tomb was empty maybe there's a resurrection mm-hmm and these disciples have this experience on the road. And everything that they have been through then verifies what this day is. Jesus is risen. The resurrection is true. The resurrection is real. Jesus has been raised from the dead, as these eyewitnesses now say. We hear about this Cleopas guy. Yep. In this, that's in what I can remember is the first time we've heard of him. In Luke's gospel, yes. Sure. Yep. Uh, so Cleopas is named in the scripture passage, mm-hmm. um, and there is a tradition that to Jesus that would be Uncle Cleopas. 
Hmm. That is Jesus's literal uncle. That is the brother of Joseph. And we know that through through Christian history. We know that through tradition. Um, there is a man in John's gospel named Clopas that is identified also. It is believed to be Joseph's brother. Um, and the tradition is from, uh, from uh, the research of some theologians that... Um, that Clopas is Cleopas, and both of those people are one, and that that one is the literal the literal uncle of Jesus, hmm. and so the literal uncle of Jesus does not recognize Jesus on the walk to Emmaus, which makes it even harder to believe. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. So how many? Okay, so twelve minus one eleven. Uh huh. How many people were there? Do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. So there was the twelve. Mm-hmm. And in that 12, there were the three, James and John and Peter. Then there were the 12. And then from there, there are as many as 72, because that's how many were sent out on, at one point in time in the Gospels. Mm. They were sent out in pairs as 72 evangelists to go forth into the regions to talk about Jesus and to do the things that Jesus had done, to make the healings, to do the things, to, to give sight to the blind, to, to heal the sick, to you know, to, to proclaim the kingdom. There are 72. That does not count the women. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of them. There are a number of Marys. There are a number of, you know, other women that are connected um, to, to Jesus, to, to this whole band of disciples. Gotcha. Yeah, I've always wondered. Mm-hmm. So back to the, the road to Emmaus. Yep. These guys are walking from... Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Emmaus. Emmaus. Yep. And they're talking, I mean, okay. Let's, can we just recap? You want to just recap the, the gospel quick again? Sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, on the evening of the day of resurrection, these disciples are going back, presumably, to their home in Emmaus. And so, they're going on this seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Evening, probably li- pro- likely traveling to the west, um, that's mm-hmm. why one of the commentaries I read mentioned that the sun would have been in their eyes and so they wouldn't have seen Jesus nearly as well. And so maybe that's one possible reason. But if you're walking for a distance, I still feel like you would have a, t- a chance to really get a good look. At you really do think you would, yes. And as they're walking along, <coughs> as you would probably expect, they're discussing the things about Jesus. Like they're probably just wondering in the back of their minds what in the world just happened. Mm-hmm. You know, and this stranger appears and invites himself to just travel along with them. And he says, what are y'all talking about? And they're just like, well, the thing is about Jesus. And Jesus says, well, what things? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the disciples are just baffled. They're like, how can you not know what things? Are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened? And they explain to Jesus what has happened. They tell Jesus from their perspective the things that have happened, the shenanigans that have gone down, and they talk about how hurt they were. They talk about how bewildered they are. We thought that this Jesus was going to be the one. And then Jesus rebukes them, calls them slow of heart, calls them foolish, and then explains how God was moving salvation history from Moses all the way to Jesus. That this was the point. His life was going to be one of triumph and suffering. On purpose. Intentionally. 
and explores with them the scriptures, helps them to see how Jesus is the Messiah that has been foretold. And it's not that they're not convinced, but, you know, that's not the moment. Mm -hmm. It's not the eloquence of even Jesus' argument that helps them come alive to their faith. They get to their house, and Jesus is walking as as if he's going to go. And they're like, well, you know, it's late. It's really not, you know, safe for you to just keep traveling. How about you just stay? And he becomes, he goes from stranger to guest. And then in the course of their time together, as Jesus makes himself acquainted and they make themselves acquainted with him, Jesus takes on the role of the host because they come to have the meal and Jesus, and this would not have been characteristic of, you know, guests in other people's homes. It would just be like, you know, uncharacteristic of if you had a friend over now. Mm-hmm. They, Jesus took the head of the table. Jesus took the place of the host and broke the loaf and said, you know, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And that's the moment. That's the moment that they get it. And then Jesus disappears. And they have no other option than to run back the seven miles that they just walked and tell the disciples everything. Verifying again, verifying what the women have said, verifying everything that they have been told to believe that happened on this day. Now they have another witness mm-hmm. to say, this really is what has come to pass. So yeah, it really had to happen this way. Yeah. In order for, I mean, just in general, in order for the story to work, He had to explain to them why. I mean, it was just, it was God's opportunity or Jesus' opportunity Mm -hmm. to explain to them why all this happened. Yes. Yep. And he wouldn't have had that opportunity had they recognized him right away. Right. Yeah. Because they wouldn't have come forth with those feelings. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the, the, the appearance of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Like, Mary sees this gardener. And she's kept from recognizing Jesus too. Mm-hmm. And Mary explains, I've come to see Jesus. He's my friend. He's everything to me. Where have you taken him? If you've taken him, that's fine. But just tell me where so I can go and find him and be with him and see him and, and do this, you know, the, the custom of preparing the body. And it's not until Jesus says her name that she recognizes. And she latches on to him. And Jesus says, cool, but don't because we've got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Don't hang on to me just yet. We've got, you know, you've got to go tell the disciples. You've got to go do the things. We've got work to do. But it, Jesus doesn't make himself known. Jesus is the gardener, like, but, and Jesus is standing in front of her. But it's not until Jesus says Mary's name that she gets it. It's not until Jesus breaks the loaf of bread and blesses it and gives it to these disciples that they get it. But then there's bigger things to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just the start. Yep. You want to talk about the guest part now? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I cut on Sunday or didn't have enough time to dig into um, is is the guest part of things. Um, the story we spent a lot of time on Sunday uh, with Jesus as the stranger on the road because that's where a bulk of the story happens. And then with with communion being served after the message, the host part was very important too. Mm-hmm. And so making Jesus the host of that table and then making Jesus the host of the table we're about to share together in communion, 
that was a very important movement too. And so the guest got shortchanged. Mm-hmm. And it kind of does that be naturally in the story too. Like there's not a lot of things that happen between the disciples inviting Jesus in and then Jesus at the table taking on the role of the host. But it is still just very striking to me that these disciples that did not know who this person was would extend the hospitality that they did. I mean, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's dark, but yet, you know, travel was travel where in that day and age, and they had no idea who Jesus, who they had no idea who the stranger was, no idea where the stranger was going, but yet they did not neglect to show hospitality to this strange person and invite him deeper in to their relationship together that's budding. Um, and just I, what I find so fascinating is just how universal of an experience that is mm-hmm. when we are building relationship with someone and we make that transition from stranger to guest, how powerful that is. You know, it had to have been powerful in, in, the, in the lives of those disciples. Like, they were making the right choice, and it had to have meant something to Jesus, too, because, you know, after everyone scatters after the death of Jesus, there had to have been a human thought in the back of Jesus' head, who are these jabronis that I picked? Mm-hmm. How dare they scatter? And yet here is the opposite happening. Here is a disciple, or here is two disci- here, here are two disciples who get it who know my teaching and know, you know, (laughs) I give, he gave them a new commandment to love one another. And here they are extending love. That has to have been a big moment for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And it still remains a big moment when we become the guest of somebody, when we've, you know, when we started out as strangers, you know, I think that that is a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's an important role and an important transition and an important part of the story that we glossed over on Sunday is where are those transitions happening in our own lives? How are we making strangers into guests? Maybe not just in the church either, like in our lives outside of this place, how are we inviting people further in to a relationship with us that may be evangelistic but may not be evangelistic? You know, the world has been so disconnected and everything feels so disjointed, especially now, you know, with the political situation, what it is with, you know, things happening in our world, it feels so divisive and so divided and we've just been so disconnected. And so where are those transitions happening and how can we be a part of them and how can we celebrate when strangers become guests? You know, even as like people transition from working at home to working in an office and Mm. just being around people. Oh, yeah. People just haven't been around each other for two years. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, our annual conference for New Methodist folks, our annual conference is coming up in June, and I was talking to our lay delegate, Terry, um, today. He's just like, well, is it going to be like it was last year where there were sites that people could go to that weren't, you know, live? And I was like, no, we're going to be all together. Oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Like, I am actively looking forward to annual conference for the first time in a long time because of the social aspect of it mm-hmm. and the fact that I'm going to see people that I have not seen since before the pandemic. Right. So. Yeah, it's amazing how when you talk to people, everyone's, you know, they're just so tired of all of this. Mm-hmm. And 
just the feelings you get, you know, the first time you've seen a relative in a long time mm-hmm. because of the pandemic or yep. gotten together with a group of friends or whatever. Right. You know, it's just, it's, yeah, feels really good. It does. It does. And so, yeah, when, when they just open a, open a door to a guy that they think they don't know. Right. Yep. So guarded now. You know, I was talking with a clergy friend of mine a while back, and she said that she has started the practice of working on her front deck, like of working. Not, I mean, it's one thing. We all drive to our homes and drive in our garages, and our, more often than not, our garages are attached, and so we just don't see people. Mm-hmm. But she has, has highlighted how countercultural it feels to work from her front deck, mm-hmm. you know, to be out there among people and to, you know, if someone walks by and she says hello, they have no idea what to do with that. Right. It's so outside of our norm. So why do you think it was important to Jesus to take over the host role? Right. Yeah, I mean, and like that's kind of the whole ball game. Um, it's it's important to Jesus because they still haven't quite got it yet, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that. I mean, I don't know if he was. I don't know if Jesus thought that this was was, was going to be the mic drop moment, mm-hmm. you know. But when he breaks the bread, and when he blesses, when he breaks the loaf and blesses the loaf, and then shares it with the disciples, that's when it all clicks. That's when it all happens. The whole story was building to this moment where Jesus is made known in the lives of these two disciples. They express their hopelessness on the walk. We thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And that has to have hurt for them. Mm -hmm. And then to have this moment where you know that you are standing in the literal presence of Jesus as he is breaking bread as he did in the upper room days earlier. So I have a question about that. Yeah. He says in the upper room that I will not eat of this again until mm-hmm. I'm in heaven. Yep. How do you, how do, how do we, how do we balance that? He doesn't eat. Oh. That's easy. Yeah. I mean, and it's also, it's also the fruit of the vine as well. Sure. The, the, that's that's really wrapped up in you know I will not eat of this meal and drink of the fruit of, uh, drink of the fruit of the vine. Jesus never eats in the story. Jesus breaks the bread and that's it. Sure. The disciples get it after that, and then Jesus is gone. We don't even know if the disciples eat because they are so excited to go and tell the other disciples that this has all taken place. I think at the end of the story that there was a broken loaf of bread on the table at at an empty table Mm -hmm. with a full meal sitting there. Because once you realize the resurrection of Jesus is real, you got to tell somebody about it, man. Mm -hmm. And so those disciples, I think they left with real haste to go back to Jerusalem. It's a good question though. I really appreciate Mm -hmm. the question. Mm -hmm. So what's next week? Yeah, so next week is a very interesting week um, because uh, next week is kind of we're going to be celebrating faith at all stages of life um, because this week is the week that we're going to do our cradle rocking, which is a tradition of this church for ever. ever. And then also we are celebrating our seniors as well. We have four seniors that are part of this church, three from Canton, one from Alcester, uh, that we have the opportunity to celebrate. We're giving away 
Uh, Methodist men are giving out two scholarships um, to two of the seniors that are going on to um, higher education. Um, and then so our scripture we're going to be focusing on is Ecclesiastes 3, where there's a time for everything under the sun. And just there are, there are certain things that we do. There are certain milestones of faith that we reach. And God is with us in the midst of all of it is going to be the biggest point that we make is the fact that God is in the midst of the, in the lives of those babies already. Mm-hmm. You know, God is working. God is showing love to them as we show love to them as their parents and as their church. God is with those seniors as they're preparing. God is with the families of those seniors as they're preparing for those next transitions. Um, and then God is with us in all stages of life. And the fact of the matter is, is that there is something for us to do at every stage of our faith. There is no retirement plan in the kingdom of God. There is just service in God's name as long as we're lucky to be on this earth. So that'll be our focus. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's Cut for Time podcast. Join us again on Sunday for a very special Sunday when we celebrate the the kind of the youth of our church and the different generations. And then join us again for our podcast next week. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.